Hi, my name is Natalie Bozeman, and I've been at NBC for nine years, I think. And um, today, the passage we'll be reading is in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is in your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Isn't that great? I mean, our kids just kind of energize the place, don't they? I, 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 it's just such a joy. In first hour, we, Elizabeth was in that first hour and uh, uh, just brought back because I remember when Bill and Rhonda came and when Rhonda carried her and, you know, and you grow up with these kids. And, I, you know, so many times we talk about how we're a family, you know, we're the church of God, but we're the people of God and we're a family and you begin to grow and and live together and you just work together in the name of the Lord. And, you know, and I started looking through the group this morning. There was about 50 of us over there. And, man, I was just tears were welling up. And I was thinking about how many of these kids I prayed for. And there were some there that were married and now have kids. And I began to pray for their kids. And even as I look out here, just the number of kids that I've, that I've prayed for over the years and now see some as families. And just what a blessing it is to do family together. And, and that's what the church is. It's not that we're, we're perfect. If I always say, hang around me a little while, I'm pretty sure I'll offend you or do something wrong and, and all, but that's because we're just, we're just people. We're people learning to follow Jesus. And we need to bathe our students in prayer as they go off to college. And as Josiah, he's, you saw him, he's starting his business. He's uh, in his personality, he's a hard worker. Uh, man, just praise God for all of them. And uh, we just need to, be, we need to be in prayer for them as God would lead us and guide us in the days ahead. So, you know, one of the things, I'm just so proud of our students, but one of the things I did is I was kind of thinking about all the different things that students look forward to when they go off to, off to college and so forth. The possibilities of, of, of direction and all are just as varied as there are students, but one of the things that um, I read was that students, one of the things I look forward to the most is meeting new people and friends. Uh, you will develop lifetime friends. I, not recently, uh, a couple that my wife and I knew when we were at Bible college, uh, we became very close to them during that time in our college years, but went different ways. He now pastors over in uh, California, and we just recently got together for the first time since graduation. We graduated together, and man, it was like we never, never missed a beat because they're just such good friends. You will make lifetime friends. The new experiences, campus activities and traditions, new skills, leadership, even being an entrepreneur is a constant learning and growing in order to be able to adapt to our times and our culture and knowing how to, to do a, a business. It's, it's not easy, it requires a lot, but the experiences are, are immense and the opportunities are multiple. Uh, then also just a new sense of independence. 
Um, you know, they get to decide when they clean their room now, you know, when they're off to, off to college. I remember going to college and uh, we uh, were just taking our dirty clothes and we, we had a little closet there and we just throw them in the closet. And I remember doing that a while and we opened the door and we're like, oh, what is that? You know, we didn't even know it was the clothes. They, if you leave them a long time without washing them, they do start to rank, you know. And, and so we figured out that, oh, we need to wash them once in a while, you know, kind of a deal. And, and so you just start learning all these different things and, and there's a new sense of energy and excitement. And as, as, as our students move into this kind of new season of their life, one of the things that really want to encourage them is not to forget their roots, not to forget who they are, not to forget the things that they were taught uh, by their parents and those that loved them and invested in them, uh, that they would embrace those things, and then not to forget their faith. Um, I pray for our students. Seeing, seeing one get married today and pray for him often. Pray for my children. Pray for, pray for our students that they don't forget who they are in Christ Jesus. We forget. You know, sometimes people joke with me about my little statement, dear people of God, right? But it's so important to me that we know who we are, that we quit letting the world define who we are. We quit letting culture dictate our faith. We need to understand who we are. And as our students go off, I pray that they don't forget who they are in Christ Jesus. Paul was writing to this church in Colossae who was being bombarded with false teaching. And as he writes to them, he reminds them not to forget who they are, not to forget what they believe. Some of the false teachings that have begun to run rampant through the church there was things like God is good, but matter is evil. So they believed that they just disciplined their bodies and they beat their bodies and bring their matter, their bodies under control. That brought more of a greater understanding of spiritual knowledge or just the opposite. They believed matter was evil. What I do in matter doesn't, doesn't make any difference. So they just kind of lived as they pleased thinking God was good. It's, it's been a couple thousand years, but the story doesn't change and the deception doesn't really change. Maybe the words do, maybe the way it's packaged changes, but really the heart of the, of the false teachings really don't change. They denied Jesus of his humility or humanity and that he was less than God. And we live in a culture that is, that is redefining who Jesus is, redefining his deity. Some of the things I read every now and then, I'll have a college student or a student say, hey, Greg, will you watch this? And sometimes it's hard for me to watch it when I see such poor interpretation of the scriptures to come up with things like, like Jesus is a racist or Jesus isn't who he said he was. He's not God. It's no different. It's no different today. The lies and the false teaching that permeates our culture and permeates even the church. They were doing the same thing, denying who Jesus was. This idea of seeking a higher knowledge needed for enlightenment and salvation 
Our students are going to go off and they're going to be bombarded with ideas and things where people are saying this is more of a scholarly understanding. This is more intelligent as if there's this understanding of, of accomplishment that you just never saw before. This idea of salvation, the idea of enlightenment, it's no different. I, I even recently was thinking, has there ever been a time in all of history when education has been greater than it is today, the access to information greater today, and we think education is the answer, and yet we look at our world and bitterness and hate and division and those things just seem to be even more, run more rampant. When we think about, well, we just need more resources, and yet I don't think there's ever been a time in our world when we've been more wealthy, more access to resources and things, and yet hate and bitterness and division runs even more rampant. There isn't a secret higher knowledge or understanding. When you hear that, that should be a major red flag. Jesus walked among humanity and he called humanity to himself. He gave us his word. It's there. It's open. There's not a secret way of thinking. Though we write books and we write things about, about this, it doesn't give it authority. Same in the church. The church also believed in this idea of worship of angels and mystic experiences that were being taught within it and beginning to distract the people of God. There was a good group of Gentiles as well as Jewish folks who were now incorporating Jewish legalism into the gospel. You had to be circumcised in order to be saved and other ceremonial rituals that were being added to their, to their faith. There were many voices that were speaking into their lives in the church in Colossae that was beginning to deceive the people. And Paul writes trying to address those, those false teachings about who they are in Christ. And he addresses them from a prison cell in Rome as he writes to these Colossian believers. And I think this, this passage this morning of Colossians chapter three, verses one through four, is imperative for us to embrace today, to understand who we are as our students are going out, as our students are being bombarded with things within the world and other ideas and other, other principles. One of the things I call for, I ask, is that they don't forget who they are in Christ Jesus. When Apostle Paul begins in chapter three, in verse one, he says, if then you have been raised with Christ. Stop there, listen to those words. If then you have been raised with Christ. It's imperative that you understand the implication of this phrase. He just got through identifying in verse 20 of chapter two that they had died. They had died to these elementary principles of the world. And even though they begin to incorporate different rituals and different things into their, to their lives. In the last verse of chapter two, he says, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of flesh. It doesn't matter how much you know, how much you attain in knowledge, it doesn't stop the indulgence of the flesh. Only Christ does. Christ changes us. He makes us new. He brings into our lives life and light. And so when Paul says this right here in the first phrase of chapter three, he says, if then, the idea is since, or literally it has the idea in the Greek, in view of the fact, in view of what fact? That you have been raised with Christ. In view of the fact that you have been raised 
with Christ. He's going to tell us what to do here in a second, but there's something you need to understand. You need to understand what does it mean to be raised with Christ. You know, we can go back to the Old Testament. We can go back to the garden. There, sin entered into the world. I know, dear people of God, we don't like to talk about sin, but we must because it defines the condition we were in without Christ. If we do not understand the condition that we were in, then our gospel is going to be nothing. We have to understand that God sent his son into the world to address the issue of condemnation and judgment that was upon the humanity because of iniquity. Iniquity entered in, it tells us in Romans 5, that his sin entered in the world through one man, Adam. There's a picture whereby a sin began to move throughout humanity. Everybody came up short. Everybody failed. Came short of the glory of God. It's the condition that we find. We know the passage in John that tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. And we focus in on that idea of God's love, that marvelous man, man, immeasurable amount of love and the mercy and the grace of our God. Praise God and hallelujah to his glory for his mercy towards us. But in the next couple of verses after that, he says, I did not come to condemn. Why? Because we were condemned already. Why? Because of iniquity. We couldn't climb ourselves out of the hole. We couldn't deliver ourselves from death and sin. We were in the bondage of sin and of death with no ability to deliver ourselves. All of the things that we tried to do, incorporate in our lives, whether it was the disciplines of our life, whether it was the change in the way that we looked at Jesus, whatever it was that we tried to incorporate in our lives, Paul said in the very last part of verse chapter 20, or chapter two, that it did not address the indulgence of the flesh. We could not dig ourselves out of the condition that we found ourselves in. But God in his mercy and his grace demonstrating his love towards us even when we were in that condition sent his son into our world. And his son dwelt among us calling us to himself. And he's given to us, his people, the ministry of reconciliation. What other message can you share in this world that has an eternal impact? What other message? What other class can you teach? What other financial advice can you give? What leadership skills can you teach? What can you do that has an eternal impact other than the message of reconciliation, the message of the gospel, whereby it takes somebody from a position of bondage to a position of free, from a position of death to a position of life, from darkness to, to light, in the dear life of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying since, we're in view of the fact, and it's a, it's a past tense, it's already something that has happened. In view of the fact, you have been raised with Christ. So the question I have, I can't, I can't go any further without asking it. Have you been raised with Christ? Do you know Christ? Have you trusted him? I'm not talking about a verbal ascent. I'm not talking about you make it here more Sundays than not. I'm not talking about any of that. That's back in chapter two. It doesn't nullify the indulgence of the flesh. What does is faith in Christ, a trust in him. 
And in order for you to understand what Paul's about to write, you have to settle that fact. Because what he's going to say in the next verses is for those who have been raised with Christ, those who have believed in Christ. So the question is this morning, are you here? And have you trusted Christ? If you haven't, the text tells us that today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. It isn't after you get your things in order. It doesn't work that way. It isn't after you've taken care of some other things where you've come to a certain belief. It's, it's accepting Christ and trusting him and him alone. There is nothing else you bring to the, to the table but faith to trust in him. Have you trusted in Christ? Some scholars even take this idea of raised to mean jointly raised or co-resurrected because it's identifying the union we have with Christ that it becomes an actual for us. When we place our faith in Christ, there's an actual union that takes place with the Father and with the Son in that relationship. And it's only those who have trusted in Christ that experience the new life, the resurrected life. So as those that he begins to write here in the following verse are those who have this new life in Christ. That's why I say, don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are in Christ. As our students even go out among the world, may they not forget their faith, may they not forget who they are in Christ Jesus. I pray that our students in, in high school, our students in college already, that they don't forget who they are in Christ. I pray their parents don't forget who they are in Christ. I pray you, dear people of God, that you do not forget who you are in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? You don't settle that, what's about to be said isn't gonna matter. Because you cannot do this in your own. You have to have Christ. You have to be raised with him. So in light of that, in, in view of the fact that you've been raised with Christ, he tells us to do a couple of things. The first one in verse one says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. The word there means seek means to strive after, to earnestly desire, to be constantly seeking, to be seeking what? That those things where Christ is, that our interests are centered on Christ, our attitudes, our ambitions, our whole outlook on life are molded at, by our relationship with Christ. Because of who he is, because of our faith, because we've been raised with him, our allegiance to Christ takes precedence over our allegiance to the world. Our actions begin to change from non-Jesus to Jesus. It isn't just a position, now I'm placed into the family of God, but now there's an action in light of being a part of the family. That we're, we're not just guests of the church. We're part of the family of God because of what Christ has done. Because of him. And it says where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I love that phrase, the right hand of God. It's a metaphor of a, for a place of supreme privilege and divine authority. That's who Jesus is. And those who seek to diminish who Jesus is do not understand the reality of his position right now. He sits at the right hand of the Father. 
And he's full of glory and majesty. He's full of mercy and grace to those who would humble themselves and become, come before him. He sits in a divine authority as God's son who has defeated sin and death. And for us to diminish any of that diminishes, it diminishes the gospel and the victory that we have in Christ Jesus. Do you see that, dear people of God? Do you? Do not sit there and blow past these words. Do not blow past the truth. Where are you at in your seeking? Are you more concerned about Jesus? Were you more concerned about the earthly? It identifies where you're at in that you've been raised with Christ. If you've been raised with him, you're gonna begin to seek these things. If you haven't been raised with him, you're not gonna care about these things. Be careful, dear people of God. We need to be evaluating ourselves and our, and our direction and where we are. Paul is confronting false teachings that have slipped into the church and he's warning them, do not forget who you are. You've been raised with Christ. In view of that fact, seek the things where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. He goes on in verse two, he says, set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things on the earth. When you look at these two commands in verses one and two, they, they're almost kind of the same. Verse one, that seek implies or deals with that practical uh, side or that practical pursuit of the new life. As I begin to pursue this life, as I begin to put on Christ in my life, there's things that I begin to incorporate in my life. The, the ladies just went through rooted. I, everyone, I, I remember as they went through this, there was all, oh, there was gnashing of teeth and groaning and mourning and, and, and weeping and crying, all those things, right? Oh, this is so, and every one of them that I've heard that I've talked to afterwards, like it was the most amazing thing I ever went through. My whole life, my walk with God has absolute change. And you know what? When we begin to pursue and set our mind, set these things in our life, in the pursuit of our life, it changes who we are because we understand what we have in Christ Jesus. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. And when you look at verse two, when he says, set your minds, it has more the idea of the inner disposition of the new life, to think. It implies an inner disposition or impulse. One scholar said, you must not only seek heaven, but you also must think heaven. Think about that. It changes your disposition, your emphasis in life, that you begin to give large amounts of space in your thoughts and your purposes towards Christ and seeking him, and that these inner tendencies in your life begin to, to swell up towards God, not to the things of the world, God gives us things to enjoy, but even good things that are on earth can distract us from the purposes and the intents for which we've been created in our relationship with God. Just because it's good doesn't mean it's, it's good for us spiritually, but when it becomes the very intent and the purpose of our life, it distracts us. Those things on the earth can be understood as wealth or worldly honor, power, pleasures, and the like. Any of those kinds of things. But you know what? The pursuit of those things are not worthy of the one who has been raised in Christ. 
Did you hear that, dear people of God? The pursuit of the worldly is not worthy of the one who has been raised in Jesus Christ. Do you agree? You see, we've got to settle those things in our walk where else we're gonna be in this continual loop, right? Where we say we hear something and God really touches our, touches our hearts and we're like, oh yeah. And so we start making some changes and some hard times come and we get distracted and we become confused, deceived and we begin to live a certain way and, and then we start back and then we get back here at the top. We hear something with God and we go, oh my goodness, yes, God. And we start going and then we get confused, we get distracted and we start, and we just do this consistent cycle. Dear people of God, don't forget who you are. Rest in Jesus Christ. Rest in the fact you've been raised by him. Set your mind, set your purpose on Jesus. There is no other direction. There's no other way to go. No wonder we as a church, as God's people, so often get distracted by the things of the world because we lose sight of who we are and we lose sight of who he is. And that's why he contrasts these ideas of the things above and the things on earth right here in this, in this verse. One scholar says there will be a difference from now on in the Christian who will see everything in light and against the backdrop of eternity. He will no longer live as if, as if this world will all, was all that mattered. He will see that the world against the backdrop or the background of the large world of eternity. That we would quit looking as these 80 years or 100 years that God gives us on the earth as if that's the majority, that there's an eternity, there's an eternal life, and we start looking past this and we see in the large eternity of what God has for us and we understand we have been created for more than just the meager things that we do on this earth in our relationship with God, that we would have this opportunity to walk after him, to see his hand, to understand the power of God in the gospel in our lives and that we would live after him and seek after him and he becomes our purpose and our direction and all of who he is in us because we are in him. Why? Why do we seek these things? Not only because we've been raised with them. Look what he says in verse three, for you have died. Kind of, kind of blunt there, right? For it explains why we're seeking. Why? Because you have died. Died off, it means to be dead, slain. It's an aorist indicative referring to a past, listen to this, a past fact. Not something that maybe it happened. It's a fact. It's a fact. If you've been raised with Christ, you've died to those things. Paul just addressed it in chapter two. So he's walking in chapter three and he says, in view of the fact you've been raised with Christ, understand that you've died to those things. You have died. What's he say? For you have died and your life is hid in him. With Christ in God. So far as your spiritual being is concerned, you have separated the former life to the life you have in Christ. It is not easy, it is a chore because it reminds us constantly of who we are, that we begin to weed the things out of our lives. I've watched when people go through times in discipleship and there's always these times where there's a groaning where you're wondering if they're gonna, if they're gonna take that next step of faith 
And you can't make it for them, they have to make it. And are they gonna take that next step of faith and believe and grow in their faith and grow in their walk and understand that they've died to that other way of thinking, there's a new life in Jesus and are they gonna, by faith, walk after that? Or are they gonna stay there and live this defeated life wondering why is the Christian life ever bring the peace and the joy and those other things that God has talked about in the scripture, why hasn't that become a reality for me? It's because we don't understand we've died to that life. Give it up. I came to Christ, I was 11 years old, and I walked, and I accepted Christ. The problem was nothing in my life changed. I didn't understand. I hadn't read it in the scriptures yet. And as I began, when I got into high school, in fact, I always say I did a lot worse after I accepted Christ than I ever did before I did. Because I didn't know. And when I got into high school and I began to understand the realities of these facts of who Jesus is, and I began to realize there's some things I need to move out of my life. One of them was some of the friends that I had. That was so difficult. But I had to make a decision. Was it, was it those friends? Was it the things we were doing in the world? Or was it Jesus? And I never forget walking into my youth group and I remember sitting at the back, and I was pretty rough. I grew up in projects, and this is a pretty wealthy church in a very poor neighborhood. I remember sitting at the back, and literally there was a big space all the way around me. Nobody wanted to sit around me. They were afraid of me. I remember sitting there and hearing the word, the words of life. I understood lies. I understood deception. I understood pursuing for all that I want. But then I began to hear of this God and all of his mercy and his grace who could deliver me. And I'd heard that and I received Christ, but I didn't understand what did it look like that now I was raised with Jesus. And there's a new life. As I began to incorporate, it was so hard to pull away from some of those scenes in my life that I might focus in on who Christ is in my life. Dear people of God, we need to understand that as the church. We get so distracted with all the things in the world that we're ready to combat and fight. And the reality is we have a message that changes lives. Let that be our focus. The gospel, that God in his son was calling people to himself. He was calling you and he was calling me. To God be the glory, to him be the praise. Amen. You see, when somebody dies physically, they're no longer concerned with earthly possessions and accomplishments and wealth. And just as us, when we die spiritually to those things, we do not value the earthly things, but the things above. Because all those things become unworthy of the one who has been raised with Christ. Your life, the resurrected life, that we enjoy as a believer. Vincent said, your new spiritual life is no longer in the sphere of the earthly and the sensual, but is with the life of the risen Christ who is unseen with God. In fact, the word hidden there has the idea of both concealment and safety, invisibility and security. In other words, we are secure and safe in Christ. Those times when I'm sharing Christ and people get aggravated with me, in the flesh, I just want to, you know, crumble them up, make a pretzel out of them. That's, that's my personality. But the reality is that in Christ, I don't have to defend. Jesus is the answer. I simply share Christ. I share the gospel. I share the love of God. I share the power 
of his might, that same power that rose Jesus from the dead and seated him in the heavenlies is the same power that brings life into my life. We rest there. We are hidden in him. Our life in a very real and profound sense is in that invisible spiritual realm. We need to understand who we are in Christ Jesus. It says that about him, our life is hidden with him, with Christ in God. That in God, it inserts Christ's union, his own union with God, and emphasizes our union with God in Christ, that we have this union with Jesus Verse four, he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear, where you will appear with him in glory. The word appear means to reveal, become manifest, or visible. I believe it's referring to the second coming, when Jesus will come from heaven in all of his glory. And you know what? His people will come with him too. I look forward to that day when every knee will bow and recognize who he is but they will also recognize and understand my faith in Christ. I don't have to convince the world of my faith. My father knows my faith. I rest in him and in his time, he will reveal. I trust him. We don't like that in our Western culture. We wanna be in control. We wanna dictate. We want everything to be explained. And simply to believe is not good enough. And that's why God tells us with a broken and contrite heart, he hears us. In our pride, in our confidence, in our arrogance, it distances us from God. It's when we come to him in humility and faith that we begin to experience the power of his resurrection. Look at that phrase, who is your life? When Christ appears, who is your life? When Christ, who is your life? Christ, who is your life. It's not enough to say that we share our life with Christ. I've been married 37 years. I've shared my life with my wife. I love it. We share things. We don't agree on everything, but we share things. The other night she handed me the remote. She said, okay, you get to choose. She doesn't like the movies I choose. I don't like the movies she chooses either. We share. We share things in our lives. But here's a, here's a reality we share, but one of us could get really flaky, right? And walk away. You see, that's not what Paul's talking about in our relationship here. We don't share with Christ where, where, where we kind of are in control. Well, Jesus, I liked what you said there, but I don't like what you said there. I'm not gonna accept this, but I'm gonna accept this. We, we don't share life with Jesus. Look what Paul says. He says something totally different. When Christ who is your life. Do you see the difference? He is your life. If you've been raised with Christ, he is your life. This isn't a dictatorship where you determine everything, where he determines everything. It's the idea that he gave us life. We were dead, but now we've been made alive in Christ. He is our life. Without him, I would be nothing. He is the essence of our life. And when he appears, we will appear with him. He gives us a new focus, Paul does. He reminds us of who we are as a believer and that we should look towards who Jesus is and his reign and look forward to his return from the clouds. 
that he becomes our life. Do not miss the words of these, this passage. Some of you have heard me before share of this guy that I worked with, his name was Sam. When the Seattle Seahawks came into the National Football League, Sam played linebacker for him the first two years. Now, they weren't very good, but Sam was an incredible athlete. He was a big guy. I was a pretty good-sized guy, but he made me look small. He had muscles on his earlobes, you know. He was just one of those kind of guys. He grew up in a Christian home. His dad was a pastor. He had majored and got a master's in philosophy, and he had left the faith long before. He came to many different conclusions in regards to the reality of the truths of the scriptures. He did not believe them anymore. And so Sam and I began to have a discourse over a long period of time, sharing with each other. He was a big fan of Nietzsche. He gave me a book, and I remember reading Nietzsche. And there was one time where I came back, and I said, Sam, look what Nietzsche says right here. He says, Christianity is like every other religion. It's based on works. And I'll never forget, Sam got all excited. He goes, yes, that's what I've been telling you. It's just like every other religion. It's all about works. And I said, yeah, he quotes this passage right here in Romans chapter 6. And he goes, yeah. I says, for the wages of sin is death. And he said, yes, yes. And I pulled out my Bible, and I said, but he didn't finish the quote. For the wages of sin is death, but the free, God, free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. You see, we pick out things, Sam. I remember in our discussions, it grew more and more. I remember this day we were working on a lot, probably as big as the church lot. It was just Sam and I that day. I don't remember why it was just us, but it was just him. And I remember we began this discussion and Sam got very aggressive I remember he's just following me, just, yeah, I can't believe you believe this, Greg. You're too smart to believe this. There's, there's so much inconsistencies, and he kept going on and on. And I'm, I mean, Sam's a big dude, you know? And I was just like, okay, let me keep moving, you know? And he's just following me, waving at me, yelling at me. Finally, there came a point where I just turned and I said, Sam, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And there's nothing you're gonna say that's gonna change that. I take that by faith. It's my faith that's your stumbling block, man. You see, dear people of God, the reason I survived that onslaught was because of my faith, because I remembered who I am in Christ Jesus. Our students are gonna go out. You're maybe facing new circumstances. Maybe you're facing things. Do not forget who you are in Christ Jesus, that you have been raised with him. To God be the glory and the praise forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, speak to us, your people. Let us, Father, not be, let us not be hardened in our hearts and let us, Father, not be arrogant in our ways. Let us with humble hearts and contrite spirits approach your throne and find grace and mercy. Father, I don't know how so many times we as humanity grew such to a place that as finite beings, we think we could understand you who are infinite. It tells us in the scriptures, Lord, that Abraham believed God. How powerful. He believed you. And in your good grace and your mercy and your love, you imputed to him righteousness but he just believed you. 
We cannot forget who we are, God. Strengthen us for your glory and purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.